Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm Mark Brumley. I hope you enjoy the discussion in this episode. For more information about Ignatius Press, check out our website at ignatius.com. Here we are live. I'm Vivian Dudrow, Senior Editor at Ignatius Press. And with me today is author Diria Little, the author of um, From Islam to Christ, which is a conversion story, fascinating conversion story. And it was some years ago, Diria, that we worked on that together, right? I know. You were a wonderful editor to oh. put up in my writing. <laughs> well, well, it was an amazing story. And we're going to share with our audience here a little bit about just how amazing that story is. And we're going to begin with, why don't you tell us where you're from originally? Uh, I'm from Turkey. I was born and raised in what's called Iconium in the Book of Acts, where St. Paul was kicked out from. Um, so I lived there until I went to college. Then, um, then I moved to Ankara for my um, higher education. And that's where I became Christian. So. Yes. So were you raised in a Muslim family? Yes. Both my parents are, um, are still Muslim. So is my brother. Um, but it's like if you're familiar with Turkey, in Turkey, it's a little complicated because it's very Muslim on the inside and on the outside, it's very secular, secularized and modern. It's changed since I moved here um, to the West, but it's still, um, we had that kind of stuck in betweenness in our family too, but they yeah, definitely, they are still Muslims, yeah. But even though you were in that in-betweenness between being in a secular state and being in a devout uh, a people, you uh, went through a time where you still had to go to a Muslim school and learn your Quran verses, didn't you? Yes. That's why I think like Turkey is um, stuck in between because um, in the winter, we go to this very um, Western looking um, school, learn about all these Western ideals about laicism, which is secularism. And uh, we talk about the importance of science and all that stuff. And come summer, all the neighborhood kids would get together and uh, we would go to the local mosque to learn how to read the Quran. So um, so uh, that's that's the kind of uh, place. And it's fair. I think the experience is quite different than other Muslim countries. Like I was never forced to cover my hair, for instance. Um, except when we went to the mosque and when we practiced anything um, religious. But other than that, I was never um, forced to cover my hair. So, yeah. So, uh, but at some point in your religious uh, indoctrination, you began to have serious doubts about Islam, didn't you? Yes, it's interesting. I'd like to point this out first, why, why more uh, Muslims don't um, question um, the Quran because we are raised in what uh, St. Thomas called servile fear. Like we are raised to fear Allah. So you're not even allowed to question, ever doubt, or uh, necessarily um, seek understanding. Um, so you're supposed to lo just learn and obey. That's it. And it's a religion that's passed down from your elders. Like probably that's how it was in the Catholic Church. So it's not like you open the Quran and read it in Turkish. So I like even though I could recite it in Arabic, I was never encouraged to read it in Turkish. And isn't it true that some of the uh, prayers and things that you had to memorize in Arabic, you weren't taught even what they meant? 
in Turkish. Yeah. Is that right? No, not at all. I still don't know. I can still recite most of those Arabic prayers after all these years, but I still don't know what they mean. Um, and that what they mean in Turkish because you have to recite everything in the original language, which is Arabic. Um, yeah. So what what planted those seeds of doubt in your mind uh, as you're learning about this religion? Uh, doing as as your neighbors and and relatives do what what's causing you to doubt this i don't think i would have ever doubted um hadn't my parents got a divorce so i that was the biggest thing um that uh, that cracked uh, um put a big crack in that fear of um wall of fear wall of servile fear for me sorry tend to feed the baby yes and this little baby by the way is bernadette and we're happy for her to be with us because look at her she's just so cute and uh the picture of health so so yes yeah, so and you do talk about in your book about the breakup of your parents marriage mm -hmm. and the impact that that had on you as a young girl growing up and uh i remember that coming out in the book very strongly uh but you did at some point call yourself an atheist, did you not? Right. So uh, the divorce, in a way, forced me, not forced me, but made me question everything my parents taught me. And I don't think this is unique to my parents. I see this happening a lot in the West, too. Like the children, uh, even though we keep telling ourselves that children are resilient, they get, um, it's very hard for them to see their parents go through a divorce. <laughs> Yes, you know, marriage isn't good. Like my parents did not have a happy, loving marriage and that fell apart. It was, you know, it was um, it was always rocky. They didn't have a relationship. There were fights. But even then, divorce um, kind of made me question everything they taught me because I they didn't love me anymore. Or I thought, what else did they lie to me about if they lied to me about their love? Um, so then I started to read the Quran and the Hadith, which is um, the sayings in life of Muhammad. I realized that this was a man I could not follow, um, especially the violence and the treatment of women in the Quran and Muhammad's life was really uh, shocking for me. Um, so in a way that the veil was lifted before <laughs> from my eyes. Yes, please. Yes. Okay. Um, so... What I did was um, afterwards kind of to reject Islam. But once I rejected Islam, I didn't have anything to replace it with. Because in Islam, um, they, they teach you all these, um, all the other religions that came from Islam is the same. But, but they, um, they corrupted. So I thought this is all same fairy god. Right, it's the same fairy tale. They keep uh, telling us over and over the same lies. So I ended up becoming an atheist. So that yes. was I was around twelve. Um, that when I chose that path and that continued that way for a while. Right, it continued for a while, including uh, going off to university. But then you meet some Christians. Right, and uh, it's that encounter, right, with a living witness of a Christian faith that 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 now causes you to doubt your doubts, right? Right. So <laughs> I, I was a very militant atheist in a way. Like I was an atheist missionary because I, I, I was never relativist. Um, so I thought if there is one truth and the truth is that there is no God. And if you believe in God, let me help you with that. <laughs> so, um, 
So when I met a Protestant missionary who actually truly believed in God, I was like, oh, poor thing. You, you know, you still believe in all these fairy tales. Let me help you. So, um, so when I, thanks be to God, Protestants still take the Great Commission seriously. And I have so much, um, I owe so much debt to them. But that's how it started to see that, um, the first missionary I met, she showed me that it is possible that God exists and faith and reason are not necessarily, mm-hmm. um, you know, in competition. Like they can coexist if I dare to use the. Yes. <laughs> use the do, you, do you think that that uh, conflict between faith and reason is more easily resolved in Christianity that, than in Islam? Uh, yes, I think because our understanding of God is very different. In Islam, Allah can do whatever he wants and you, you dare not limit. Like, uh, for instance, in case of sin, a sin is a sin because Allah says so, not because it's uh, against our good. Yes. Um, yes, it's like, it's very nominalist if you're fam- if um, viewers are not, uh, yes. familiar with the term, yeah. Me- meaning that... If in Christianity we believe in the Logos, the God of reason, mm-hmm. and so this does not constrain God in any way, but it does mean that the objective reality that we must conform to is the objective reality of God himself. And so it's not as though he's going to say, thou shalt not murder today and mm-hmm. go ahead and murder so-and-so tomorrow, right. right? That would be an inconsistency in God, but often the religions that don't have that it's they think somehow it constrains the freedom of God for there to be objective norms that God himself is and establishes. So exactly. mm -hmm. And um, science relies on that consistency. And, you know, we, we owe Catholic church and Catholic philosophy, theology, that understanding of science, like how can you have experiments if you don't expect the same result? Um, Right. So, we um, believe that the universe has order and that this order is an attribute of God himself. And so therefore we can look at reality and reason from it and study mm-hmm. it and expect it to be coherent. Exactly. And, <laughs> and not is, arbitrary. There's no such expectation. Right. right. And not arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Right. So, okay. So you meet this Protestant Christian and I do ha- owe a great debt. My own conversion, I was first in the Protestant church before I became a Catholic. And yes, those zealous Christian missionaries who introduced me to the gospel. So many people, Dira, you and I and so many others, right, do owe debt to those evangelical-oriented um, missionaries. God bless them. And yet you did become a Catholic. So something along the way must have um, intrigued you about the Catholic church. Now, um, after I became Protestant, I was never quite convinced with uh, towards the arguments of uh, scripture only and faith only. Uh, but I thought, like, I just don't know enough. It'll come to me. And it never quite came to me. Um, and another was that the lack of authority in the Protestant church, like even mm-hmm. as a new convert, I could see that, you know, the division the um, uh, and all the problems that comes without uh, with not having a magisterium. Again, I kind of pushed them all aside until a very dear friend of mine became, became Catholic. And I was so, um, <laughs> I wanted to prove him wrong. How dare he become papist, <laughs> right? Like all the, um, all the anti-Catholic wordings I used for him. Um, so 
so when I start, when I wanted to uh, question, you know, prove him wrong, it didn't take long that. Oh, baby, hang on. Okay, it didn't take long that um, I ended up myself converting to Catholicism. If you give me just one minute, I will hand over. Yes, yes. Just, That's I'm okay. So and I'll, I'll, I'll talk to our audience here because I'm seeing a pattern here, aren't you? I mean, this character trait of, of, of um, seeking the truth uh, and then you latch on to something and now you want to convince other people of your truth and then you discover you're being drawn deeper into the truth. And, but that feisty personality, God uses that. And that, that truth seeking, God uses that uh, to bring us to him. So it's really, it's, it's really, you'll, if you do read her book from Islam to Christ, you will see this, this feisty, intelligent, precocious girl um, fighting her way to the truth. It's really beautiful. And um, hopefully she'll come back soon. But um, yes, and Turkey being such an interesting, uh, because it was secularized, uh, actually quite forcefully. Um, and and uh, she mentioned that she never had to wear the veil. Here she's back. Um, I was just blathering while you were gone. <laughs> so, okay, so you become a Catholic. Now, I'm going to completely shift gears here because you met your husband online. Yes, I have. Right? You, <laughs> yes. you, and so what can you tell anyone out there watching about online dating? It obviously turned out well for you. Yes, it has. We have, we've been married almost 12 years. And uh, we have five children, and I could not have asked for a better husband. Uh, we met on Catholic Match, and I know there are a lot more options now. It's because we wanted to, we both wanted to marry Catholics who, you know, he's a convert, I'm a convert. I'm not going to go get married somebody who is not as passionate about their faith as I am, because, you know, marriage is hard, even with yes. Christ, you know. So I think um, online dating is becoming more and more um, popular and it's a good option because where do you find, you know, the, the way Catholic Church functions now has changed incredibly. There are no fancy dances <laughs> that you would meet your spouse. So I would say um, obviously be clever like you would be if you dated, um, met your spouse in a secular en environment. Um, of course, you need to always have look for those red flags. But um, for us, what was uh, wonderful about online dating was that we were we got to talk about really important topics before we met in person. So we talked about tithing, how to raise children, and all that like really important stuff. Yes. Or any physical attraction and all that confusing stuff got into the picture. Yes. So um, that was really helpful for us. And it was it was your husband that br brought you to the United States, right? Yes, yes. yes. I was a poor graduate student, and uh, he actually he had a job, so it was kind of obvious that you know which one yes. of us both. Yes. Now, graduate student, you you uh, do you have a PhD? Yes. Um, yes. I was getting yeah. I was getting my PhD in England when I met him. So you already knew English, and mm -hmm. and you'd already lived a bit in a Western society. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but still, this leap across the ocean to America was a huge leap, wasn't it? 
It was. And um, actually, after upon your suggestion, I added that last chapter uh, to my book, From Islam to Christ. And I hear a lot from people. To, uh, it's so good to say, like, what happens after conversion? What happens yes. after marriage? Right. So it's like um, it's happily ever after, but it's not without its struggles. Yeah, it, it was hard. Uh, I think the most thing we struggled in our marriage was a lack of a supportive Catholic community uh, where we live is um, they, it used to be very Catholic but not anymore even though there are Catholic churches everywhere so that was the biggest struggle I had a bigger Catholic community in Turkey than I had in America if you can imagine that's so ironic yes yeah um, and but the Lord provides and he's always provided so you know we're raising our kids Catholics and but other than that, um, Americans are really friendly and mm -hmm. I love the freedom here. Uh, and of course, I ha after having lived in um, in a very in, in a Muslim country, I really I have three daughters. I want to I'd rather raise them in America than in a Muslim country. And, you know, mm -hmm. one day, hopefully they will become missionaries to some of them and go back to spread the word. But as children, I think they're happier here. Uh, so. So that's so interesting because as much as those of us who are trying to keep the fire burning for the faith in this current environment, um, you know, it's hard to some, it, you know, we see more often the abuse of freedom. And because we have freedom, we can take it for granted here. We, you know, we can idealize, you know, maybe we need to lock things down a little bit more here around here. <laughs> <laughs> But in fact, you know, freedom can be used. God gave us freedom so that we could do good. Exactly. Uh, however, we can choose not to. And so uh, there's a downside to everything. But that's interesting that you'd rather raise your daughters here in spite of the abuses of freedom and the uh, challenges to the faith. But yes. your mention of needing a community, that's where your book sort of leaves off. That last chapter, mm -hmm. you do mention this longing for a stronger uh, community. And I think that's fundamental to living a Christian life. So have you found it? Uh, not yet. We're, we're, I think we're going to be one of those families who's, who relocates. We've tried very hard where we are, but um, it's just the faith hasn't been passed on where we live. And we are this weird, awkward family with five kids. And I think after a while, it becomes very tiring. And yes. especially because my family is in Turkey and my parents, um, I mean, my husband's parents have passed away. So it's like there is no support and it's very hard. When we want to lean on the church and the community, there isn't anything there. But hey, it's um, we're hoping to relocate to a you know, more Catholic well, area. That's just happening so much lately. In fact, there was an article just today I read in the National Catholic Register on this very topic of Catholics relocating to find more supportive community life in their in their in living out their faith. It's it's a real hunger. And so um, now back to your own family of origin. How is their relationship with you now that you're a Christian? I mean, this is hard for Muslims, is it not, to accept apostates uh, mm -hmm. even in their own family? Is that hard? Yes. Um, I've been in a way, I don't want to say, uh, but lucky that my parents were divorced because after their divorce, we didn't, with my father, I didn't have any relationship. And with my mother, I had a very broken relationship. 
And because of Christ and the forgiveness that he imposed upon me through his own forgiveness, <laughs> um, I, I, we, I was able to build the relationships a little better. But of course, um, it's still, um, it's very shaky because of the divorce. But uh, yeah, it's so much better now that I became Christian and um, tried to follow our Lord's example in that. So in a way, their divorce um, made it easier for me to convert. I can't say that's true for most of my other uh, friends who converted from Islam. So do you know many people who've also converted from Islam? Uh, since my, the book came out, actually, I meet more and more people because uh -huh. um, they're almost always in hiding, especially in, if, if they live in Arabic countries like, and they reach out. And that's one of the beauties of the Internet. Like you can do it in the privacy of your home without getting your head um, cut off. So, yeah, I hear a lot more. And um, I think since ISIS, there is an increase in the interest in Christianity because people started to quest question Islam. Um, instead of being lukewarm Muslims, they started to see, are these people actually Muslims? If they are, how can I be a Muslim? So um, there's more and more, yeah. So we hear about the power of a good example. There's also power in a bad example, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. when ISIS set up its caliphate in, in Iraq, and here you had Western European women going there to be brides, and then you hear of them fleeing for their lives later. Clearly, there was a disillusionment that took place that this mm -hmm. caliphate that was going to create a pure Muslim society certainly had a dark side, didn't it? Yes, definitely. And I think because of seculariz secularization, people think it's Christianity is the evil patriarchal religion and everything else is, you know, happy. I think a lot of Westerners, especially Western feminists, don't, don't understand how women are treated in the, even, even in the best Muslim countries, even in Turkey now, like um, there's a whole movement. But um, I mean, the, the women can only gain their dignity through a religion like Christianity where we actually believe that both men and women are created in the image of God. And I don't know how you can, um, I don't know how you can bring that kind of equality without believing in a God and um, the inherent dignity of a human per person. Does it make sense? And I think that's the disillusionment. Yeah. You go to a Muslim country, you think you're going to see somewhat of same thing. And then of course it's not. Yes. So the people reaching out to you, do they tend to be women then who, who uh, mm -hmm. uh, no, seeing that you're a woman and it's gone through this process to Christ? Is, is this what brings them to you, do you think? No, I, I'd say both men and women. Oh, interesting. I mostly they are kind of are looking for companionship, especially if they can't find uh, people in their own um in their own country or city they just they're just like oh look i am not the only crazy one because you always have all those doubts because you, if you feel so alone in your conversion you want to reach out to people so i would say both um both sexes yeah interesting that's so interesting i think it, it do, do, do you suppose that there are more uh closet christians in the muslim <laughs> world than we than we really can imagine I think so, because 
once you convert, you bring so much shame to your family. I just interviewed um, somebody uh, on my little podcast who converted in Turkey. And he, his, he was so afraid, his father, he was so afraid of his father that uh, he moved to a different city. Even then, his father kept sending him death threats. Like his own father, because you bring so much shame to family by converting. And again, this is in Turkey. I can't imagine how many more people found, find Christ again, through the internet or through talking to other people, but they can't just, um, they can't just spread it because, you know, they can't be open about it because, you know, their lives are in danger. So I'm sure there's a lot more than we give credit for. So what, what motivates, knowing that you're possibly going to have a death threat against you, if you convert, what is it that motivates a Muslim to convert even in spite of that? There must be something so attractive about Christ that can't be found anywhere else that you'll even hazard your life. Mm-hmm. What is uh, that? Uh, I think the truth for most of us, you know, it's and the beauty of the Christian life. And once you understand what Christ is offering, which takes a long time to get there. And often, um, and often there, it's just, there are many... <laughs> interventions <laughs> you'll hear about visions and um and um dreams um or, you know from our lord to muslims but interesting of, yeah i i don't um like i had a vision even though i was an atheist but i couldn't take that last step because i even though i knew that it was the truth I couldn't take that final make that final decision because i worried about the jobs i'm not going to get or I was engaged, or I was afraid that I was going to lose all my atheist friends. So I couldn't make up, you know, make that decision. And finally, um, I saw this um, vision that made me realize, like, look, these are all tiny trinkets compared to the eternal life and uh, the beauty and the truth the Lord is offering. So it's kind of a just bring that brought a really big perspective change. Um, I know an Egyptian lady. She um, she was having doubts on, on on a day of fast fasting, and she prayed to Allah that if um, to to take all these doubts away and send her a dream with Muhammad in it. So she goes to bed after having fasted, prayed, and then she sees our Lord with Our Lady behind. So she, so she she's like, oh well, that's the answer. So like you hear a lot of these supernatural interventions because it's wow. just. You know, just to make that, take that last step is extremely hard. That's interesting because you see that also among Jewish converts. Uh, In my experience reading Jewish conversion stories, there's often this supernatural intervention. Like your your thought can only take you so far, right? Right. And then to make that leap, especially out of a, a culture out of a tribe, out of a family in a much more profound way than say a Western person in America or Europe going from Protestant to Catholic or maybe even a non going to Christianity. It's not nearly the same dramatic rupture that it is for a Muslim or a Jew to become a Christian, right? And so I see in these stories, a lot of these, yeah, supernatural occurrences that, Mm -hmm. that, that lead them to the final step. I know, and the Lord is um, gracious enough to kind of entertain us with that because he needs, we need, we have that help. And you also need to uh, remember that there isn't that much support, again, 
from the church and the community until you actually convert and become part of the community. Because, you know, especially in the Catholic Church, there isn't that much evangelization. Um, so you're kind of really alone in the beginning of that process. So the divine help helps a lot. Yes. Well, I suppose it's true to say that we all need divine help. Uh, in, I mean, our faith is a gift and, and keeping it and our hope are also, we say they're theological virtues, right? They're, they're graces that, mm -hmm. so we, we utterly depend on God to, to bring us home. And what you said about forgiveness too. I mean, isn't it the power of forgiveness really that ultimately draws people to Christ? Yeah. And it's, it's so contrary to what we, we are taught um, as in Turkey. Um, and I'm sure it's similar in Muslim countries. It's one of the things I real, I remember moving here. Uh, there was a debate about um, something America did, um, I don't know, a hundred years ago. And there was an apology. I don't even remember. And I just thought, goodness, I can't imagine Turkey apologizing for the Armenian genocide. We don't even use the word genocide because you don't like there is no no understanding of forgiveness because it means uh, it's like weakness. You don't want to be weak. Right. Um, so once you actually witness the power of forgiveness and the freedom it brings. Right. And it's 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 just beautiful. And it's so attractive when, you know, see when you see and understand it and you partake in it. It's just immensely attractive. And that's why Jesus says, I'm drawing all men to myself, mm -hmm. to the Father, right? It's precisely his mercy that exactly. is drawing all men to him. And women, of course. Yes. <laughs> we mean, we mean you everyone. Don't have to, yes, you can't use men for both men and women. It's okay. That's right. <laughs> you certainly can in the English language, but it's nice to remind people of that. So, uh, so yes, your story is beautiful, inspiring. Um, I'm so glad that I got this opportunity to meet you and talk about it in this forum because at the time when your book was published, this didn't even exist, this kind of thing. To, no, it didn't. We're to get, getting old, Vivian. <laughs> I know. It makes, <laughs> makes me feel old. And, and you and your beautiful family, and now you are living that faith in them. Mm -hmm. and going to the next generation and so it's it's and and all these people who seek you out so but you've always been something of an evangelist haven't you even when you were <laughs> you're you've got that feisty personality that god puts to good use <laughs> yes now that now my poor husband knows it well but yeah, yeah. he loves yeah. it he knows it and he loves it and on that <laughs> Happy, so do we. And on that happy thought, I'm going to sign off. We, we're, our time is up. But thank you for joining us and, and, and uh, answering these wonderful questions with such profound and personal answers. We really appreciate it. We appreciate oh, you, Lori. This podcast has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. We encourage you to check out our books and videos at your local Catholic bookstore or wherever else books and videos are sold. You can also sign up to receive special discounts on books and videos at ignatius.com. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the podcast on the website or app from which you listen to it. And please tell your friends about it. I'm Mark Brumley, and on behalf of everyone at Ignatius Press, thanks for listening.